Just as capital cities across Europe are reclaiming their tourists and opening their borders this summer, we hit the inevitable stumbling block of a second wave halting most travel across the continent in this run-up to Christmas. So what does the man in charge of tourism for one of the world's most recognized cities think about how we move forward? At the helm of Vienna's tourist board for over a decade, Norbert Kettner joins me on today's episode of The Chiefs from his office in the 3rd District to offer his prognosis on the future of the Austrian capital. Though keen to avoid false promises, Kettner believes this pause presents an opportunity to improve the traveler's experience once things kickstart again. Curfew or no curfew, security issues or serene streets, the spirit of Viennese decadence looks certain to thrive. So how do we ensure our cities continue to be celebrated and support our vital nighttime economies? And why does a more positive outlook for 2021 depend on a pan-European cosmopolitan approach? I'm Tyler Brule, and this is The Chiefs on Monocle 24. Thank you very much for joining us. I was very fortunate to sit down with you a couple of weeks ago. It was a sunny, beautiful day in Vienna. The city was looking really at its best. You're sitting in a, in, in a difficult moment right now. And I was talking to another colleague recently, and they said, you know, so much of what we deal with at the moment is certainly because these are, are government-imposed restrictions. And of course, this is preventing people from traveling, from arriving in a city like, like Vienna. What needs to happen in Vienna? Vienna, in Brussels, in capitals everywhere, to, of course, give people a sense of confidence again that they can travel, and that also that Norbert and his colleagues are ready and willing to welcome them. Actually, what we all forgot is that on day one of the pandemic, we smashed the European single market. The success of cities was made also by the European single market. At day one, and this doesn't show too much of resilience, actually. At day one of the pandemic, we smashed the European market. And what we need now is the revival of Europe. There have some efforts been made, like the, the traffic light system for Europe, which is all right at the moment, but we need to revive Europe. We, we have to get rid of the travel bans, of the travel restrictions. What we need, we need a European travel regime. We need to tell the Europeans, if you want to travel, if you want to go from Zurich to Vienna or from Vienna to Paris, you need to obey certain rules. This can be testing in, in, in a certain way. I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. So, but that's what we need, actually. We need to revive the European spirit. And we need to get rid of single travel restrictions and we have to go towards a, a single travel regime, telling our people what to do when we want to travel. And another very important point is, it's a political point actually, just stop with the blame game. We said the first aim of the pandemic, you know, every region can be affected. Every group can be affected. The virus is blind. The virus doesn't differentiate between groups and ethnicities and, and, and countries. And that's what we see right now in Europe. Because two weeks ago, three weeks ago, some nations were better off. Now it's red all over the continent. So the numbers go up. As I told you, I'm not a doctor. I cannot sort things out. out. I, I believe what they say. But that's what the two things we, we need to do is to the renaissance of Europe and to stop the blame game. I think it's fascinating how you talk about the blame game. Here I am sitting in, in Switzerland, 
Geneva was perhaps you know famous at the beginning of this period that we're in for having a, a, a number of cases. We, of course, then saw a number of quarantines going in against the city as well, uh, put up by other countries. And it's been demonized. And as you said... <laughs> I mean, of course, culturally, this is what we look for. We do look for scapegoats because we want to feel better ourselves. Do you sense that maybe when you talk to colleagues, maybe that's a, maybe that's a key point. Are you having discussions right now with similar cities of equal scale of, of your neighbors? Is there a conversation between you and Zurich? Are you having a conversation with Munich, etc.? Because I think it seems to me as well, at least then maybe if you can galvanize some like-minded cities, maybe cities which are, of course, in your catchment area that you know you would love to have, I'm sure, some more Bavarians visiting you. I'm sure that Bavarians would love to have Viennese coming. I like this idea of a renaissance. How do you spark it? And I know that's a big question, Norbert. We, we talk to each other. We keep the spirits high in favor of the city because you, you were talking about demonizing things. I think the cities are demonized and the lifestyles of cities are demonized from certain groups. And we have to be very aware of that. All the successes of the city, all the economic powers of the cities are forgotten now, but still I'm in contact with my colleagues from other cities. One fifth of the Austrian population lives in Vienna. So we are two million inhabitant cities and these these represent 20% of the Austrian population. So I feel quite lonely actually when it comes to discussions like these. So we need the exchange uh, with other cities and we need to keep the spirits up for the cities actually. We know we are really, it's rock bottom right now, what we see, but we will come back in an even better condition. And, and just one interesting number when we talk about economic power, Vienna contributes 20% of the population of Austria, but it contributes 25% of the economic power of the whole nation. The GDP of Vienna is higher than the GDP of Slovenia and Croatia together. And this is true for many other cities in Europe, and we must not forget this. I think we have to be aware that from certain groups, from certain angles, the lifestyles of cities, the cosmopolitan approach, the approach to, uh, towards diversity is under attack now as well. And we must not forget that. You bring up the point about the fact that there are certain corners, certain aspects of city life, and, and you rightfully pointed out as well, which come under attack. And I can think of so many cities that we've seen that they, they target nightlife. And a lot of the fight back that I've seen, which is also really interesting, is bar owners are saying, listen, again, nighttime economy. I mean, we can look back 48 months ago, 24 months ago, everyone was talking about, yeah, we need a nighttime mayor in our city. You know, nighttime economy mm-hmm. is is the engine. And again, you know, suddenly it is is the villain. How do you think we overcome that? And do you think coming out of this, is the nighttime economy going to have a difficult time in terms of recovery? We know that nightlife partying plays a certain role in spreading the wires. We know that. But I'm always astonished how forsaken some people are about their own youth, we will not be able to lock up our youth for another year. They will want their life back. So what we try to do in Vienna, we have a support system for the the night economy. So we, we just launched a system where nightclubs with curated music program, they get up to 30,000 euro for curating a program after the pandemic, because right now there's no chance to open up. But we want to be ready when the situation improves 
we did this program together with an institution, with, with, with the park, park community in Vienna, and we set this scheme up. It's not active right now, of course, but we want a day one post-pandemic, we want the nightlife to be able to revive. That's what we can do. That's what we can do as a city. But you're completely right. So suddenly they are the villains. It has nothing to do being the bad guy or the good guy. There are some aspects in the pandemic which have to be observed, of course. But I definitely think that night economy and nightlife is a, a crucial part of city life. Okay, we've taken the first third of this interview. We've dealt with where we are at the moment. I want to look forward. I want to spend the next yeah. two thirds of this interview looking forward and really not just in a post-pandemic world, but just, you know, let's get back to some healthy competition between cities. Let's rewind seven or eight months ago in the good times. What do you think are, are, are the, the key points of, of attraction now? Because Vienna has made such a big name for itself as, of course, one of the world's most livable cities. So you, you've got that bit sorted out. And livability is, is it's, it's great, of course, for visitors, but also the livable sides of, of it maybe appeal more to taxpayers. Uh, some people mm. also sometimes think, oh, the livable city means that I have to, I have to go to bed early. Um, and it means, yes, the parks, <laughs> yeah. the, the parks are very nice and the trams work, but, it, but you know, is it really boring, the most- Boring, yes. But it's boring, is, is, is it exciting? I think like in real life, it, it, substance will be more important. And as you mentioned, I remember international commentaries when we were awarded the most livable city in the world, I think for the 10th time. Oh yeah, it's, it's, that might be true, but probably it's a, it's a dull city. And, and this really changed the last month actually, because Vienna proved to be a non-boring city, but still well-functioning. And more than well-functioning, even not only the infrastructure works, also the community works. So there is a strong, strong mindset of community here. And I think this is the thing which will be more and more important in tourism. A tourism which orientates itself more to certain needs of the people, like culture. We know that people are craving for live events. I still believe strongly in digitization. We have to go on with this. We wouldn't have survived in any way without digitization, this situation now. But the live event will never be replaced by digitization. And I think that's a good thing. For Vienna, especially important, the convention business, which will come back. It will take some time. I'm not sure when we will see again a 20,000 participants Congress in the city. This will take some years actually, but people will meet again. And again, the thing with substance. So separating the noise from the, the, the signal from the noise will be more important. And, and our role as a tourist board will be even more important because we are the curators of the offerings of a city. And we explain the city a little bit to our audiences. And we had a conversation before, I remember that maybe these nations which were considered a little bit odd, a little bit, odd, a little bit boring before the pandemic will come out as the more substantiated nations because it's good having a good time. It's very important to have a good time. It's very important having decadence. But I think it's a better thing if this decadence, if the good times are on a, on a good fundament. And a good fundament means community, means infrastructure, means that the essential things are working in a, in a place, in a destination. For this, I think we are on a good path, actually. When you look at maybe a recovery program, how is it going to be led? Do you see that it's maybe 
do we have to bring back the business people first? Is it the weekenders? How does it sort of roll? Because, you know, in a way, if I wanted to come to Vienna right now, okay, Switzerland has has a quarantine, I would, ha- I would technically have to go into quarantine. At the same time, if I go to Vienna because you invited me for a non-cancelable meeting, I can come and I can come for 96 hours and then I have to yes. come back. So there are ways around it. Now, we don't want to sort of be dealing in loopholes. Mm-hmm. But do you see it? Is, is the first engine or at least the, the lead engine, Norbert, going to be the business traveler who then goes back and says, God, you know, it was great being in Vienna. And, and then it's a next wave. How do you see it unfolding? I personally believe that the business traveler will be the first to come back. And we all know that psychological environments and psychological situations play a huge role in business. And I think that at the point we have a vaccination or we have an effective treatment, this will sort out a lot. And my experts tell me that we have, I think, I think nine developments now in phase three. Experts say they expect a, a, the first vaccinations around December or January. And this will change a lot, I think. Not the masses, not the masses will be moved, but it's a psychological pillar where we can say, okay, from now on, we see a certain direction. And I think that businesses will be the first to say, okay, we need to do, to do this meeting. We have to be at this convention. So what can we do to send our people safely somewhere else? What has to happen, though, on the ground, if I'm a hotel operator, and, and you've also been saying that you know there are going to be casualties, of course, not just in, in Vienna, cities all over the place. Mm-hmm. There are hotels that are closed, and there are also hotels that aren't going to reopen either. So when you're talking also to the hospitality community in your city, do you also see that aside from, okay, yes, we all talk about a reset, and this is an opportunity to do something different, but do you see a real chance that maybe... A year ago, things were heading in one direction, and you do have an opportunity to really improve, to have a competitive advantage, That whether it's the hotel offer, whether it's the greeting you get at the airport, the journey in from the train station, whatever it is, are, are there some opportunities that you see that come of this in, in a truly positive way? I think there are opportunities. So what we do, we communicate intensely all the safety measures we take in the city, how to come into the city. We are talking proactively about this, not in a negative way, but in a very normal way. For the future, it's about infrastructure. Are we developing our digital infrastructure, our health infrastructure? So this is an important thing. And you mentioned the the, the hotel industry. To be honest, what we can say now that we are in an ice age. So, and now we have to find legal ways to really bring companies through this ice age. Also for the people working there, because this is a big problem that we lose workforce in tourism, because many people are leaving tourism for good. And we have to find up to find schemes and set up schemes to keep the people in this industry, or maybe just to put them together in educational schemes, so that we are prepared when the business will start again. So that's what we're doing right now. I'm very confident that and also for the most of the cities in Europe, that we will come out of the pandemic actually with a better infrastructure. I hear about a lot of hotel projects in Vienna, which will open up after the pandemic. Mandarin Oriental has announced that it will open one of their first hotels in Europe in Vienna, I think in 22 or 23 years. So 
there's a life after this. And now we have to take care that the situation is improved. What we cannot do, actually, we cannot make false promises. I cannot go to the industry and say, you can make some profit in this winter time. It's not possible. We are not talking about making profits. So we are talking about surviving the situation. You know, when we talk about the way of destruction, what brings a, a big crisis, it brings also creative destruction. Schumpeter talked about it. So I think we are right now in this very process of creative destruction. That sounds cynical, but it's not meant cynically. But this is the only thing we can think about it right now. It's, it's about being better off after the pandemic. And now the energies and the effort should go into this direction. At the start of the pandemic, we had a lot of people talking about what the future of travel would look like. And also, again, let's go back to the city. People were reflecting on the city and we heard how great Rome was because you had Rome and you still can have Rome all to yourself in a way. And Venice and Paris. So, you know, most of these cities, yes, you can get to. You might have trouble when you, on your return home. But you know, these places are all available to explore up, up to a point. What do you say to those people, Norbert, who said, oh, yeah, the city is so much better with, without the Chinese tourists. The city is, you know, is so much better without all of these weekend day trippers? Do you think most of the people who were saying that in the beginning are wishing they hadn't said that now? Or are, are there going to be better times ahead? What I normally said is, okay, when you are unemployed, you will have a lot of time to enjoy the empty city. But actually, to be serious, we see now the impact on other fields of economy when tourism falls. I really believe that people will travel again. But we should learn our elections. We should learn how to organize tourism in the city. We set up a destination management department already two years ago, actually, just dealing with the side effects of tourism in the city. This will be even more important. Although we won't hear very often about over-tourism, but still we have to manage tourism in the city with digital means. So not only, but also with digital means. So people will travel, people will meet again, people will enjoy culture, but we must think about reorganizing tourism in the cities, but not only in the cities, actually. I want to go back to maybe one of the, what I believe is one of the strong selling points. We often talk around the topic when we think about Vienna, but of course, Vienna has set itself up. It's part of the, the legacy of Vienna. And you, we both mentioned the word, decadence. And I think about mm -hmm. some of the better nights I've had in my life <laughs> have involved, you know, a, a very nice bar or two. And of course, you know, a, a good dinner before that. In Vienna, there, the city has this decadent side. Do you think we come out of this? And some people have been talking about this, you know, again, using the Spanish flu analogy. After the Spanish flu, we had the roaring 20s. It probably won't come right away. But do you think there is going to be this moment after all of this, that people are going to be looking to really hit the dance floor. They're going to want to stay out till four o'clock in the morning. Are we going to enter an interesting period? And if we do, do you want Vienna to play part of that? I definitely believe in that, actually. So only in the 20th century, Vienna faced three or four total breakdowns as a city. And so we always came back and it's a very Baroque, it's a very decadent society. And I'm very confident that this will come back, or oh, we still are actually. We have a very 
undepressed approach to depression. So that helps as well. <laughs> Can you wait? Uh, I have to stop you there. You have to define that because people are going to be scratching their heads. Say, <laughs> what, what is Norbert's definition of that then? What do you mean? Uh, I, I don't want to be offensive because depression is a real severe uh, illness. We, we, we are aware of that. But, you know, in Vienna, depression is very often mixed up only with bad mood. And, and people are complaining because there's nothing else to do. So it's a very playful approach to being grumpy or being in a bad mood. But it's part of the daily life, actually, in the city. And that helps sometimes when you don't have to keep up a mask, especially in time like this. And <laughs> I, I don't mean be- becoming aggressive or offensive. I don't mean, th- I don't mean this social media aggress- aggression, but I, I mean some walls, how you deal with everyday life. And it's, it's get complicated. And, and there is a saying, what is the difference between a German and Austrian or Viennese? So the, the Germans would say the situation is serious, but not hopeless. And the Austrian would say the situation is hopeless, but not serious. And this, I think, describes a little bit the approach to life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, if you couldn't sort of think of a finer motto out of all of this, just before before we go, if you have to give your pitch right now, and then I can think back to, you know, you and I, we were in Tokyo together a few years ago. And right now, five reasons, you know, good times are bad. When you go out and talk up the city, what is the reason to believe? Give us your, your five key compelling selling points for uh, Stadt Wien. If you want to enjoy the the functioning infrastructure of the north of Europe with southern European lifestyle, it's the best city. If you want to get a glimpse of eastern European history, culinary combined with western European approaches towards diversity, towards economy, it's the best place to be there. It's a walkable city. You can enjoy a metropolis without the stress factors of a metropolis. Because Vienna is a metropolis, but without the stress factors of a metropolis. And I think this will be the same after the pandemic. Indeed. Before I go, I'm going to, I'm going to add, I'm going to add three more to that as well, because I, 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 you know, if, if I'm allowed to editorialize it, I think the other great thing that you have is a sense of mystery. I think that there is something mm-hmm. about Vienna that you, it creates a little bit of positive angst that you think that Oh, is there another bar that I've missed out? Is there another shop that I I somehow didn't see? And I think that that mm-hmm. you know, again in a, in a world of social media, everything else where everything is revealed, a la minute actually Vienna. You, at least you have that sense that it, it's keeping something from you, which is of course very alluring. It's a temptress as a city in that way. I would say that the independent spirit of retail that there is just these incredible shops. I mean, as I said last time, it's like. There are still shops that sell turbans for fine ladies in Vienna. Where else would you see that? And I, th- I think the third thing that you have as well is is that sense of of really being at the heart of what is a new Europe. I mean, before you used to be on the outskirts of when when we looked at Western Europe, but you're, I guess, you're back in the middle again. And I, I, maybe just to end on that, is that sort of a, a point, a, a selling point, as well? I mean, the this, the true centrality that Vienna has. We're gonna use that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. Just one sentence, one, one, one word on this. Like in real life, the hidden things are sometimes the most interesting things. If everything is revealed, there's no sparkle left. My thanks to Norbert Kettner for joining us for this week's episode of The Chiefs. And if you'd like to explore our back catalogue of chief design officers, CEOs, city mayors, and many more, 
head to monocle.com forward slash radio. The Chiefs is produced and researched by Paige Reynolds and edited by Louis Allen. I'm Tyler Brulé. Thank you very much for listening.